Hey, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. A lot is going on, my goodness. This is the podcast that translates Donald Trump, and I guess we could say translates the circumstances of Donald Trump. I was going to say, do we have enough to talk about on this oh week's my podcast? Gosh. <laughs> we're examining the existential threats to the America we know and love, and we're going to examine the existential threats to Donald Trump right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, a lot of Legal, them. political, mm-hmm. question marks. We're going to do that with a couple of great guests. We're going to dive deep into the legal and political Uh, issues uh, surrounding the president now as things develop. As we talk to you, we have seen Michael Cohen get sentenced to three years. Mm -hmm. uh, And uh, of course, the disclosures of last week in terms of the Southern District of New York and and, uh, the sentencing guidelines uh, for other people, which has given us a hint of what's to come. Guiding us through the discussion, Andy McCarthy, contributing editor at National Review, Fox News contributor and a senior fellow at the National Review Institute. Poor Andy, I'm going to ask him the thing he's asked probably 12 times a day in interviews, but... He should be well prepared. He's a pro. Right, he'll be well prepared. Kate Smith was asked to sing America the Beautiful, and that's what what she got paid for. (laughs) She did it. Well, who's my friend who sings God Bless the USA, you know? Oh, yeah, uh, Greenwood, right? Lee Lee Greenwood. Lee Greenwood, Mm -hmm. yeah. And our good, good for you. And our, our good, I said, do you ever get tired of singing this? He said, not as long as they're applauding. I don't know. <laughs> and our good friend Conrad Black, the great Conrad Black, Lord Black, will join the discussion. Political jeopardy, political fallout. We'll talk about it. I want to read uh, something I got from Seth. We were talking about Kasogi and how you know awful, awful murder, grisly, terrible, disgusting, condemnable. Mm-hmm. Uh, nevertheless, I don't think it altered American foreign policy on its basis. And I did say we got some reaction from people, and I said this was kind of a, a privileged death. I don't mean by privileged, it's a good death. It wasn't a good death at all, but it's a journalist. And so the journalistic community makes it larger, bigger than right. the deaths of mm-hmm. other people. Seth sent me an email from uh, a copy of a tweet, I guess. Is that a tweet? Yes, that's a tweet. Um, uh, from a John Cardillo that said the left wants us at war over foreigner bad guy ally Kasogi. But they were dead silent when American journalists Foley, Danny Pearl, and Sotloff were killed by ISIS. Obama did nothing. Well, then there's that. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a fair it's a fair point. And as we're getting ready for Christmas season, we'll say holiday season, but ah, it's a Christmas, Christmas season. season. Come yeah. on. I want to know somebody who does a unique celebration of Christmas. You now know what I mean by unique. I'll give you a hint. Okay. What's the most unique way recently you have heard of celebrating Thanksgiving? Wow. Uh, the most unique way of celebrating... Oh, at the racetrack. Carl Cannon. Okay. <laughs> in charge of Real Clear Politics, or in charge of one desk there. Yeah. Told us at least he goes to the desk, racetrack right? every Thanksgiving. <laughs> and we just about fell out of our chairs. And looks forward to it. I mean, this, this is what he does. Why does he go? Does. There's something special, something free? Well, you get free pie. Pie. Exactly. You get free pie at the racetrack. And apparently... See, you, that's you, the incongruity. Yeah. You'd expect the guy who goes to the racetrack at Thanksgiving to say, free drinks. Yeah, no. You know? <laughs> Free pie. Wow. He's a very trim fellow, too. He doesn't eat a lot of pie, I don't think. And he looks forward to it. I mean, this is this is what Thanksgiving is to Carl. For Mr. Cannon. And he's got a family. Exactly. He then goes home to them. Correct. Family. He gets okay. up early in the morning and goes to the track. Goes Happy to Thanksgiving. The track and gets back midday or something. <laughs> I mean, I, I've heard more, more comments. I was talking to Christopher Beach. Some of this audience will remember Chris Beach. Yes. He was in New York. Uh-huh. I ran into him in New York. Yeah, and you were in, yeah, yeah, you were in New York uh, early. And uh, he said, yeah, Carl Cannon, go to the racetrack. I mean, everybody who listened to it. <laughs> so if you have a unique way that you celebrate Christmas, something special. Right. Um, They're celebrating on the 29th because of all the post-Christmas discounts at stores. 
That doesn't. That's nah, that's, cheapskate Christmas. No, that's, that's pretty. That's, <laughs> that's, why, why pay full price? Or something. I, who was it? Was it? Uh, was it a coach? Was it Coach on the radio show who um, called us up and then held the phone up while the cows were? Oh no, that wasn't Coach Ken. That was some. I can't remember exactly. Was Texas who, guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he had all the cows say good morning to us. Like yeah, morning in he'd make this sound. Yeah, and the cows and the cows. We heard all, yeah. heard all the cows. That was great radio. <laughs> all right, let's get uh, let's get to it. We got serious business. Our graver business frowns at this levity, as Shakespeare says. Let's get to our graver business. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Okay, let's jump in with Andy, Andy McCarthy, contributing editor at National Review, Fox News contributor, senior fellow at the National Review Institute. Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, Bill, how are you? Good. Did you remember you had a podcast with me? I sure did. Good for you. you got to be very patient these days, but remember who loved you before they, you were famous. <laughs> yes, that's right. Anyway. I owe it all to the little people, Bill, you know? No, yeah, that's, that's me. <laughs> Brooklyn, the Brooklyn people. The people in Brooklyn, my fans. Uh, let's start. I, I don't want to keep you long. I just, I have four. I've been no listening closely to you, Turley, to... Dershowitz and try to sort through, you know, it's their differences, obviously. But I think yeah. I can pinpoint my questions, okay? Right. We've been pretty close to on the same page on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. You're right. There's, yeah. there's a few places we go um, different directions. Uh, first question, are you still getting up in the morning for hockey practice? Uh, do you know hockey practice this week, it started at uh, 6.20 in the morning, so uh, we are we are wheels up at uh, 5.30 to get there. <laughs> what time do you get up then, 5? Well, today, I, uh, fortunately, today was not a practice day, but uh, I got a little bit screwed today because to Maria Bartiromo said she wanted me this morning, and would I come in? So I, I had to come into Fox for a couple of things anyhow. So there I was up at 3.15, and um, they canceled me at, at four o'clock. No, um, no. Was about the news, right? Right. So, um, but you know, look, it, it's uh, if I complain about it too much, I'd have to get a real job. So, uh, I, well, I know. You know, see what I'd do though if I got canceled like that, and that's happened to me. I'd call the kid and wake him up and say we're going to hockey practice. And the, and, and the Why kid, didn't I think of that? That's and right. the kid says we don't have it, and you say I don't care. I'm up Europe. Right, right. I'm up Europe. I'm with you. That's Brooklyn right. Rules. I wish I had thought of that. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, you don't have to go on on this. Just, just a, a fairly short answer, but you got to be comfortable. I'm watching one set of channels. I don't have to tell you which, and they say, "Frog march him out of the White House. Put him in the slammer." First president, you know, we're going to see in jail. I'm watching another channel. It's, boy, this is thin. There's nothing there. He's going off scot-free. They, they got nothing on him. No legal jeopardy at all. A, he's in the, going to the slammer. B, no legal jeopardy. I assume it's somewhere in between those two. It is. Uh, and if you want, I can explain yep. why you can make the case for either one. So here's the case for uh, Frog Marchum out of the White House. Uh, Michael Cohen goes into court and pleads guilty to a campaign finance, a, a couple of campaign finance felonies. And they elicit from him actually gratuitously as to his case, because it's really not necessary to what he needs to allocute in order to establish what he did to, to violate the law. Uh, they elicit from him that he was directed in his activities in connection with these payments by President Trump. So the case 
one of the counts involving the model named uh, Karen McDougal, who was paid by the National Enquirer. People, I think, commonly misconceive what that case is about. They think that, well, uh, Cohen had a $2,700 limit, because that's what the campaign finance laws say. Uh, these were payments of at least 130000 There were two different transactions. So therefore, is that uh, these are expenditures that are, way or, uh, that are way above his limit. But in fact, what he's charged with, and this is very important as to the president, what he's charged with in the first of the counts, Bill, is causing the National Enquirer to make a campaign expenditure that was illegal for it to make under the law. So he's not ta- it's not a question of him putting any money out of his own pocket. It's causing him to do something, uh, causing a third party to do something that was illegal for the third party to do. And this kind of comes right into Trump's wheelhouse, in a sense, because one of the things his lawyers have been saying is that because he's the candidate, he doesn't have any limit. So one of the reasons he wouldn't have been even focused on this is because he didn't need to he could have made these payments himself and there would have been no problem under the campaign finance laws now that's only half okay. right because the campaign finance laws also require you to report it's not enough to just honor the limits right but the point here is the southern district of new york's theory is that even if a transaction would have been legal for you to do if you cause a third party to violate the law as to the third party, you're guilty of a felony. So the idea here is if Cohen is guilty of a felony for causing the National Enquirer to make these payments, then if he's being directed by Trump, obviously Trump is guilty of a felony as well. So that is the that's basically in a nutshell the, the frog marching out theory. Can I ask you the, some, one follow-up to that? Yeah, of course. Of course. Because I heard mentioned Turley earlier. You've probably talked about this too, but Turley seems to dwell on it. If he said, I, I, I'll, I'll mangle this some, it won't be precise. He said, if then it is true that there were conversations with Cohen while the president was in the White House or with senior White House staff encouraging him to conceal or to talk to witnesses or to suborn perjury, that would make it even worse. And there is some talk out there that there were communications between Trump and Cohen. There was indeed a famous dinner at Mar-a-Lago while Trump was president with Cohen. Right. Well, I think, Bill, that's not only true. A big part of the government's case, and this is the this goes to the Stormy Daniels payment, how was reimbursed for the money that he laid out for the settlement on Stormy Daniels. What happens is he makes this $130,000 payment in October of 2016, and then he goes to the Trump organization, and they tell him to basically treat it as if it were a retainer agreement. And what they agree to do is the 130000 he laid out, essentially they agree to double it so that it's, as they say, grossed up for tax purposes. So he's, he's, he gets the whole 130000 back. And then on top of that, they throw a $60,000 
bonus. And they tell him, let's make like we have a retainer agreement, and then every month you give us an invoice, and we will send you a payment. And basically, to make a long story short, for 12 months, he bills them about $35,000 a month, and that's how they end up paying him. So they try to make it look like an ongoing, forward-going set of payments on a retainer agreement to do legal services. But in fact, Cohen's not performing any legal services for the Trump Organization. This is reimbursement for the payment that he made in October of 2016. So one of the things that they try to do clearly to connect President Trump to all this is if the president hadn't green-lighted this and blessed it, why would his organization be paying it, and why would they be paying it in this fashion? And, and that suggests to me that there may be a, f a different evidentiary basis than just Michael Cohen's word, which is not so great. Yes. Well, what you would do as a prosecutor in any kind of case where you have, a, a, believe it or not, in, in, in uh, criminal cases, sometimes your informants are liars and bad people. Sure. And usually what you uh, usually what you end up sure. telling the jury is, you know, look, if you say, you know, you wouldn't believe this guy if he told you that it was raining at you, you know, you look out the window before you grab your umbrella. If you're the prosecutor, you say, I'm with you. I wouldn't believe him either. Uh, you shouldn't believe him anywhere where we can't corroborate him. Right, but we, and that's how you generally handle it with these guys. You, you, you know, and, and here, the other problem that the president has with this, of course, is the nature of what we're talking about, which is cover-up of his own personal uh, peccadilloes. You know, the, the question, of course, is why would, why would Cohen be doing that without being directed by the president? And it's the direction to conceal which is the problem is that right it is well it's the direction to make the payment in the first place because the payment's illegal on on the first payment it's illegal for a corporation to make a oh, uh, a campaign contribution and on the second payment it's illegal for cohen to make a more than twenty seven hundred dollar contribution okay. the other side of the case is this is a this is a fundamental legal principle but the fact cohen has pled guilty to this transaction as a felony violation of the campaign finance laws is not binding in any way on President Trump and does not in any way forfeit his ability to contest whether this kind of a payment is actually an in-kind campaign contribution for purposes of the campaign finance laws. And there's a great deal of reason to believe that it's not. Uh, for example, in the John Edwards case, which is the precedent that everybody talks about because it's so close to this one, the Federal Election Commission thought that this kind of a payment was not an in-kind contribution. The Justice Department disagreed and proceeded with a felony prosecution, but it was a very unsuccessful one. It turned out that the jury uh, basically acquitted on a couple of counts, and on the counts where they hung, the Justice Department decided it was too weak a case to proceed on. And then you have people like Brad Smith, who are former uh, Federal Election Commission guys out there, explaining that if you're talking about a debt or an obligation that you would have regardless of the campaign, then that's not in the nature of a campaign contribution. It's not an in-kind donation. And the reason I think that's an attractive argument, Bill, is 
let's say Trump decided this was a campaign obligation, that given the timing of it on the electoral calendar and all that stuff, that it was going to affect the election and therefore he's going to treat it as if it were a campaign expense. So if he had, if he had said these are campaign right. contributions and if he had then said, so therefore I'm going to take campaign funds and pay the hush money to these women, then I think the very same people who are saying it's a felony under the campaign finance laws because he failed to disclose would instead be saying it's a felony because he diverted campaign funds to personal expenses. In other words, this is one of these situations where it's a complicated regulatory situation and they get you coming or going. It's as if there's nothing that he could do which would have been the right thing. And I think that's largely why, you know, you want your criminal laws to be very clear so that the average person knows what the law forbids. And that's why these violations are, generally speaking, handled as fines, uh, administrative fines that uh, get paid in FEC proceedings rather than criminal prosecutions. And the big example that everybody always points to in that regard is the 2008 Obama campaign has $2 million in illegal campaign contributions, and the Obama Justice Department somehow finds it in itself not to bring a felony prosecution on that, and they're allowed to quietly uh, make that go away with a fine to the SEC, a very large one, $375,000, biggest one I think of all time. But they allowed them around Christmas of uh, 2012, after the election, when no one was looking, they disposed of it. Um, does it strike you, you know the Southern District of New York, does it strike you that they'd make this prosecution? It strikes me that everything they're doing indicates that they have every intention of doing that. And the reason I say that is, if you read the the sentencing memorandum they filed, it it reads like a testimonial to the importance of the campaign finance laws to our election system. It looks like it was written with Trump in mind. It says that it's basically designed to uh, even the playing field with the rich and the powerful. All right. Well, if he, um, were in, if he were in the dock then, and that's a separate question, I want to get into that. But if he were out of office, let's say, in, you know, in two years and in the dock, it would be up to the jury or a judge to decide this then if they prosecute. Yeah, rounds to play before that would happen. I think a big question here, because the Justice Department guidance says that a sitting president can't be no, indicted. No, I, I know. Well, but the, this is a serious question because oh, I see. I see. the question is, has the Southern District already gotten permission from Rod Rosenstein, the, who was the acting uh, attorney general when this part of the investigation was going on? Have they already gotten permission from him, from him to indict once the president's out of office? Or is it going to be Bill Barr's call when Barr comes in? Because obviously the president will still be in office, and it's it's a kind of judgment that shouldn't be made until he's out of office. So you would think the justice, the Southern District would have to convince the Justice Department to let them do this. I guess I'm saying let's assume an indictment. Let's assume he's out right. of office. Is he going to get convicted? I don't think so. I think that a good judge um, okay. would throw this out on the theory that it's not an in-kind campaign contribution. Okay. And, if, and like the Edwards case, if it was allowed to go to the jury, Trump not only has that card to play, there's a very high intent requirement. You have to show willfulness 
for these kinds of violations. And I think Trump could say, number one, I didn't have a a ceiling, so I wasn't thinking about the campaign finance laws. And secondly, my purpose was to avoid embarrassment to my family, to myself, et cetera. This wasn't, you know, so I think it would be tough to convict him on this. Is it also helping to say I've been doing this all my life? These are the 34th and 35th payments of this sort I've made? Well, I didn't ask uh, for help politically you know, or, or, you know. Terms yeah, of- well, it, 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 it might, except that, um, you know, it should be clear that there's nothing illegal per se yeah, okay. about okay. these kinds of non-disclosure agreements. They're pretty common. Okay. And I wouldn't, if I were representing Trump, I wouldn't make a defense that invited the government to say, yeah, well, speaking of things that he's done again and again and again in his life, let's talk campaign contributions. Okay. okay. Um, because that would show that he has a reason to be aware of what the law requires. Okay. All right. Now, let's let's switch gears, and, I, and we're only going to keep you less than 10 minutes. So uh, why do you guys think, and I, th- I think it's fair to accuse you of this, and uh, Dershowitz, Turley, et cetera, and you're mostly on the same page, I think, believe that – there's not a collusion case. We don't know everything Mueller knows. Why, why is everybody thinking that it's not there? Well, we don't know everything Mueller knows, Bill, but there's a lot that we do know. Uh, first of all, if you look at the two indictments that, that Mueller has brought against Russian entities, the, uh, the hacking case and the troll farm case, mm-hmm. they seem to preclude the possibility of a conspiracy between the Kremlin and anyone in America, not just Trump, but, but anyone. It looks like what... Uh, based on what Mueller's theory of the prosecution is, it looked like the Russians were trying to, you know, keep that to themselves and have a level of deniability rather than have partnership with uh, or collaboration with anyone in America. And some of the activities were actually directed against Trump, which certainly, you know, cuts against the idea of him being in cahoots with them. Yeah. And then second, I think, and, and important in terms of what we're now observing, the way that you build a big conspiracy case is not the way Mueller is going about this. What any prosecutor would do with the accomplices is you bring them in and you have them plead guilty to the big conspiracy plot. And you say, here's what I did. Here's what Trump did. Here's what, um, instead what, what he's done is he's pled everybody guilty to lying to the FBI. And there's no way that you would build a case that you intended as like a big prosecution down the line when the one enduring thing that the jury's going to take away is that all your witnesses are liars. Um, that's not the way okay. you go about this. And indeed, if he had a big case coming, the last thing you would do is let the cooperators get sentenced, which is what's starting okay. to happen now, right. because the most important part of cooperation is the guy's testimony. So you always have them testify first, and then you let them get sentenced. All right. So the, so the, the, the payoffs are plausibly a better case, but not likely to lead to conviction in your judgment. Not likely to lead to conviction. And I, and I think, you know, jumping to the, to the question of high crimes and misdemeanors, um, I don't see how something okay. that is yeah. often handled as an administrative fine makes the cut as a high crime and misdemeanor. Yeah. Okay. So if Andy's at the racetrack here and you were a betting man which you're not because you wouldn't bet on cases, but they get like, unlikely that he'll either be convicted or uh, impeached and convicted. I, I think that's right. I think the impeachment fear is probably something that we haven't heard of yet. And what I mean by that is I've always thought that all of this um, 
is really geared toward trying to drive his negatives up sure. so that he's unelectable by the time 2020 comes around. Yeah. And if now that the Democrats have subpoena power starting in January in the House, if something seats out that looks like it could be impeachable, they'll be they'll be like, fine. But otherwise, the, the idea here is drip, drip, drip. So they can try to you know, make them unelectable by the time that uh, we get down to cutting time. I tend to think that would be the smart thing for them to do. But let me argue with you on this point. Because you got 20 of these guys running for president. And the yep. first guy who stands up and says to the base, I don't know about you all, but I'm for impeachment, is going right. to get a standing ovation. And then they're all going to follow. I don't think they can resist. I, I don't think they can resist either. But I think, you know, the, the potential effect of that, number one, it may not have any effect on the pace at which the House goes right. about the business okay. of articles of impeachment. And secondly, if they're talking about this in the context of the campaign, I think that's going to sort of regularize the idea that Trump deserves to be impeached among a certain yeah. portion of the population, which can't be good for him. I think I would think from Trump's standpoint, the best thing that could happen is the Democrats settle on a nominee early on so that he has somebody to run against and divert some of the attention right. from him. Right. I also think that impeachment generally unless you you know you got a smoking gun with a body the american people aren't, aren't going to go for it you know they're just not going to you know the the back they i was all for it for clinton but you know politically it backfired yep it did so in fact uh i'm writing a, i'm writing a piece for national review about just that revisiting the clinton impeachment and what lessons we can learn from it but it does seem to me this doesn't alter my conclusion i was supposed to alter yours but you referred to the language of the Southern District, and, uh, you know, I read that language, too, and it does seem to me that's just natural for uh, the uh, the political types to pick up that language yep. and say, people are wondering whether it's high crimes and misdemeanors. Let me quote from the Southern District. Yes, you'd almost think they might have had that in mind when they wrote it. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> I am subtle. I'm sorry, I didn't even think of that. I really didn't think of that. All right, God knows. Where are you from in the city? Where are you from? The Bronx. Yeah, see, Bronx, I know Brooklyn. We're, we're cooler, but we're not smarter. You know, I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, Yankees fans, all right. Uh Andy, the last thing I want to ask you, I, this is your tweet. Um, and I just have you comment for a minute or two. I think we're ultimately going to find that the real collusion story of the 2016 election was the way that the Obama administration put the law enforcement and intelligence arms of the administration in the service of the Clinton campaign. Yep. Well, I think that there was a mountain of evidence against Mrs. Clinton, particularly compared to what we've seen against Trump. And they went out of their way. They bent over backwards not to make a case on Mrs. Clinton. And they've scorched the earth. The same agents, the same investigators, the same agencies, they've scorched the earth to try to make a case on Trump. And I don't see how any objective person could look at this, even allowing that Mrs. Clinton wasn't charged and she has a presumption of innocence like everybody else gets in the system. I don't know how you could look at this bill and say the quality of justice in both sides of the equation was the same, that they both got equal justice under the law. I don't see it that way. And there was deep corruption, whether it's named Comey or Strzok or Page or um, 
the deputy, whatever, right? Well, you know, look, I don't want to okay. – I know a lot of these people, and I certainly don't right. want to okay. accuse them of, of corruption. And I think in their own minds, they were probably thinking they were doing the right thing. But, I, you know, objectively, from the outside looking at this, as objective as I can be laying my cards on the table that I'm an anti-Hillary person, I still, I, I still don't see how anybody could say that they treated this equally. I mean, if you look down the line – you know, in the in the Clinton in the Clinton investigation, um, if it looked like you were incriminated somehow, the Justice Department gave you immunity and basically yeah. gave you an incentive then to clam up. In this investigation, uh, the the Mueller investigation, anybody who lies gets prosecuted. In the Clinton investigation, if you were a lawyer, they told the FBI you can't ask questions of these people because of attorney-client privilege. In the Mueller investigation, the lawyers get thrown in the grand jury just like everybody else yeah, does, and yeah. they prosecuted one of them. So, you know, if you go down the line, even, you know, with Manafort, uh, you know, in the Clinton investigation, they said, pretty please, no subpoenas, would you please let us look at your uh, computers? And we'll only look at, uh, you know, the stuff that uh, is not in the time frames that are relevant to our investigation. And then with Manafort, you know, they get a, a search warrant at a time that he's cooperating with two congressional committees and they break into his house in the in the middle of the night. You know, okay. so I, I just don't see how it was. I, I just don't see how it was um, handled even handedly. And if you were again to bet, that would be the real collusion story. Yep. Okay. Andy, thank you very much. It was my pleasure, Bill. Keep hitting them out of the park. We love listening to you. Thank you so much. All right, man. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Bye, Andrew. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Joining us now, Conrad Black, author and non-affiliated member of the House of Lords. Don't you always sit up straighter when we have Conrad Black? Absolutely. Conrad, welcome back to the show. Yes, sir. Merry Christmas, sir. Thank you. Anyway, I've been watching you, uh, as usual, on television. I don't know if you read my comments on George Bush Sr. I mean, I think we all liked him as a person, but he, I mean, my God, he did allow Ross Perot to take 20 million votes away from him. Yeah, no, I know. Not not great political horseflesh. I mean, he he, uh, he brought the Clintons down. On us. Yeah, sure. And I said in... Uh, Maybe one you didn't see, Lord, you shouldn't have to suffer through me several times. I said, you know, there there was a there was in fact a Trumpy inside to George Herbert Walker Bush. Well, you mean the Lee Adler stuff? Yeah, he just outsourced well, it. Yeah, that's right. I, that guy was. Uh, I mean, he was a little rough, but he was a great talent. He that was, was a great. tragedy. He was only in his thirties when he died, wasn't he? I loved. Oh, I loved him. I mean, he's the guy who said, "If Dukakis were going to tear the bark off that little bastard." <laughs> and and I'll tell you a quick story. I, I was on Larry King's show, and I, this is when I was director of drug policy. And some guy called and said, uh, what, what would you do with these drug dealers if you saw one on the street with your kid? I said, I'd be tempted to kill him. And the guy said, you're absolutely right. And Larry hung up on him. He said, no, you can't talk like that. I said, of course I can he said, you're the drugs are. I said, he asked me what I'd do as a father. Now, you know, law and order, sure, criminal justice system. But before we go to it, I'm on impulse. I might just kill somebody trying to do this to my kid. Larry said, oh, Bill, don't get yourself in this situation. Really don't. You're an official of the government. The next day, Lee Atwater barged into my office at 8.15 and said, 
Have you ever considered a political career? (laughs) (laughs) That was Lee. He was great. Um, Conrad, we are loaded up today, and so I'm going to be brief, and I know that's fine with you. you got a busy day. I just want to do a couple things with you. Off your essay, Mueller's got nothing. And I'm telling this to the audience, too, because we just came off a 20 minutes with uh, Andy McCarthy, whom I know you you know. You know Andy, right? And, and like his work. Indeed I do, yes. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to be repetitive either, but we focused on the legal stuff with Andy. And the bottom line is Andy thinks, you know, there's no collusion case, not likely to be. There will be an effort to make something out of the Southern District of New York and the payments, particularly if there's, you know, stuff that went on at the White House and people were, in, you know, talking to... Uh, Andy's always been susceptible to this. Yeah. He took a long time. He's a great man and a good friend. I, I don't, I, there's no rap on him, but he, he, he was with Giuliani in the U.S. Attorney's yeah, Office, yeah, yeah. and he... Yeah. And he's always had a suspicion that there really was actually something to some of the wild claims against this president, and 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 uh, and I find him a little bit of an alarmist. And, and yeah. Professor Jonathan Turley also. I mean, they're I very good, I know. And, and they're not I hostile, but <laughs> I, I don't think they can quite face just how completely irresponsible uh, the prosecutors have been here, both both the special counsel and and the prosecutors that. That he's handed off to. Well, it's, it's, it's a more elegant way of saying that's what Andy did for a living, right? In the Southern <laughs> District. Every, every anthropologist loves his own tribe, I always say, you know? And that's his tribe. So, yeah, I agree. He doesn't think the case will hold up, though. He thinks, but you, but you mean you mean the the election fine, the campaign right, finance? Right. He said I've yeah. never heard such bunk in my life. Yeah, I mean, I frankly, not even in that awful system where prosecutors win ninety seven percent of the cases. Yeah, and most so. of those, I mean, ninety five percent of those without a trial. Um, this is a little bit different, and and um, I, look, I think that. And I'm going in a limb here. I think that Mueller and, and his uh, allies in the, in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District are are taking a chance, at getting right out there, practically publicly, trying to trade confected allegations against the president for reductions of sentences. Now, that's how the system works. It's a completely corrupt system. And most American prosecutors would be disbarred in any other serious jurisdiction. But uh, but that's how it works. Yeah. But when the president is the person you're targeting, and, and uh, as has been commented on in various ways in the media recently, and he hands out the pardons, uh, he, he, he—it's not your average guy in the crosshairs that you can terrorize the living Jehovah out of. Right. And and technically, what they're doing is 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 not uh, reconcilable with continued membership in the bar and good standing. I mean, it, it, it's an outrage, but although it's very wide, uh, widely done, but uh, that's I assume why. 
Mueller's tried to muddy the waters by getting Manafort prosecuted in a number of the states where the president supposedly doesn't have a pardon, but he has other influence. Right. I, I mean, there, something about Trump has, has driven these people crazy. And normally rational people are doing irrational as well as dishonest things. And that is dangerous. I mean, it's dangerous to them. Well, you could almost see the uh, heads exploding yesterday in the Oval Office with Schumer and Pelosi. I mean, when he was <laughs> when he was lecturing them. I mean, well, it, you know, someone it, it, said someone said I thought it was a brilliant comment. This, between the two of them, they have something like sixty-eight years of electoral experience. He's got yes, two, right? It, <laughs> yes, I. Somebody said that, but 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 I but he but he has, you know, he's a he's a, a nationally elected figure, and they aren't. Oh, that's right. And that's right. And 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 um, it's all very well. To, look, in nineteen, you know, Herbert Hoover said just before Roosevelt's inauguration, uh, Governor, when you've been around this town long as long as I have, you'll realize various things. You say, in particularly that the president doesn't call on anyone, but. He, he was talking down to him as if, you know, as if he was just a, a, you know, a harpy, you know, a, a tyro. And meanwhile, Hoover was on his way out, and Roosevelt uh, had four straight terms. All right. I want to talk to you about po- the politics of this, though. And maybe, you know, maybe you do this in three sentences. And if so, fine, because it's, it's the last part of your essay about what's left on the battlefield that I really want to talk to you about. Yeah. I find that very, very found it very interesting. But let's talk about the politics of this, because where I closed with Andy, I said, OK, no conviction, uh, even to you, former prosecutor. Good, good, good. But this language of the Southern District is very strong, unusually strong, inappropriate about Trump. And that language, outrageous. right, that language will be lifted by the Democrats uh, and used to justify and impeachment. And let me just finish this thought. Uh, and Andy said, I don't think they'll do impeachment. I think what they'll do is drip, drip, drip. Just keep loading on all these things to diminish Trump. And so he's slaughtered in 2020. Uh, I said, I maybe that's right. But I think the first of the 20 Democrats who stands up decides seriously to run for office is going to say to the base, I say impeach him. And they'll get a standing ovation. Then all the others will have to say the same thing. And so they'll proceed. Sort that out for me. What's going to happen? Well, look, I'm I'm flattered to be asked, and I certainly don't claim to know. But since you asked me, if I have to make a prediction, that's what you asked me to do. Um, Mind reading Nadler, which, one, I am not qualified to do, and two, I do not find him an interesting enough public figure that I'd have any uh, motivation to do it anyway. But mind reading him and Schiff, who strikes me as even more obnoxious than Nadler, which is a considerable achievement. I just don't think they're going to be able to restrain themselves. But I, but I think what is going to happen, and it's already been signaled, is as they torque it up in their committees in the House, Lindsey Graham is going to torque it up at the Senate Judiciary Committee. And, uh, and as Nadler shuts down these, as he calls them, phony investigations that Nunez is running, or uh, I'm crossing committees here, but you know, I, oh, yeah. the, 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 the Republicans have been running a good Latin news. Graham will start them up again. And, and uh, I, you know, with Flake, Flake gone and Corker gone and two more Republicans, uh, the Senate is going to sustain these I assume they'll confirm the attorney general designate. And, uh, and, and 
the fact is Trump will strike two heavy blows against the Democrats, who really do have a lot hanging in it for every shot that uh, the, House Dem- the House Democrats take against him. I mean, the fact is, all of your listeners, and you and I know, uh, I mean, I hate to say this, but it's, it's not an overstatement. Mrs. Clinton lied to federal officials over the emails. Uh, there, there are various other things that she did, but we'll just start with that. Brennan lied about uh, surveillance of the public. Clapper lied to Congress about surveillance of members of the Congress. Uh, Comey lied again and again. McCabe is already at the grand jury. And these people have a tremendous amount hanging out. I mean, in order to get at Trump, you have to you have to back all the way through an utterly absurd situation where two women were trying to, uh, in a breach of contract in each case, blackmail a, a man who told his lawyer to deal with this, who did so, and his billings to his client included what he paid them. So Trump is contributing, if he must consider it a campaign uh, expense, to his own campaign, which is legal. And uh, and it, we have the Edwards case where there was a child out of wedlock and a much more damaging yeah. fact situation yeah. and a much more current situation. This was 10 years ago, for God's sake. I mean, how anyone imagines you can construe that as high crimes and misdemeanors that James Madison and Alexander Hamilton meant could cause the removal of a president is just illustrative of the fact that these Democrats have become completely insane on the subject of Trump. Yep. And, and meanwhile, there, the, the Bruce Orr, the Obama Justice Department, everyone who had anything to do with the four FISA warrants on, on Carter Page, they are all hanging out absolutely naked to their enemies. Now, where the media thinks that this president is going to sit there like a suet pudding, as the British would say, being crucified by the likes of Nadler and Schiff when these icons of the Democratic Party are absolutely sitting ducks. I don't know. What kind of pudding? <laughs> suet, S-U-E-T. Oh, my God. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I just, I mean, Margaret Thatcher used to say that a lot, so I, it's not, I thought it was worthy of quoting her. It's worse even than figgy pudding. <laughs> yeah, the spotted dick. Yeah. Which, we're, which we're all... T- <laughs> worrying about right this time of year. All right. Uh, but this is the reason that really, I will confess to you, the reason uh, for this interview. Well, look, do you think I'm crazy? Am, no. I, am I sitting up here deluding myself? No, I no, think no, the no. Democrats are going, I, I think they're crazy. No, no, if they go after the president for this nonsense, uh, he, he, he's uh, he, he's going to take them down. The yeah. people that I just mentioned are extremely vulnerable to being convicted. Yeah, and he is uh, – one thing, American people don't like impeachment. Maybe if you know if he did shoot someone in the middle of Fifth Avenue and it was photographed, maybe they'd go for it, but maybe not. But but not this because this, this could be a replay. Americans could have cut through it and say, he means he paid off these girls? I mean, he's been doing that a lot. I mean, and, that, and that's Clinton, and and it's maybe ugly. Well, yeah, I mean, look, he, yeah. he's, he but, hasn't been I – mean, I, I, I want to say I, I'm not a person who – it takes high ground about these things. I mean, fundamentally, I don't care about people's sex lives, and I don't think it matters right. much. But the, but with that said, uh, I mean, he he, the things that JFK did. I mean, in yeah, the White House course. and all the time while he was president, and, and Bill Clinton. I, I, I mean, were yep. they were outrageous. Some of LBJ's stunts were not too suave either. Yeah, and, and in and, office, and while in office. 
Exactly. Okay. I, I mean, uh, look, I, we don't want to get too graphic nope. about it, but, you know, President Kennedy uh, leaving a meeting with Harold McMillan at Lyford Key with the intern having to lie down in the back seat of the car, I mean, on the floor of the car, so the media wouldn't see her. And so, I mean, this is, yeah. like, I don't care if the president you know, wants to, I mean, it's no one's business but the people involved, in my opinion. But, but as you say, he was the president, and there are, there are some standards of dignity to maintain. And as far as anyone knows, Donald Trump has been absolutely as straight as a die with Melania ever since, uh, ever since Stormy's yeah. time. Here's how I want to end, and I'll, and this was the reason for this interview. This is really great stuff. I thought about this for couple hours. This is you ending this essay, which we're putting up on the site. Trump has been traduced and defamed and wrongfully assaulted by the most venomous of the swamp creatures, but he is so rough-edged and self-preoccupied, it mitigates what would normally be the tidal wave of support Americans would give their president when he is wronged. It is all distasteful and unseemly, and no one really wins. This is what was being mourned at the Bush and even the McCain funerals, that the whole business of American politics has become so nasty and horribly expensive. The Clintons had more to do with this than Trump has, but when the Obama administration allowed the justice and intelligence apparatus to become corrupted in their support of the Clinton candidacy against so politically formidable and vehement a no-holds-barred opponent as Trump, the entire system was compromised, and it is now stripping itself naked round after round. Trump will almost certainly win, but the cost and the distraction to the country and the washing of dirty laundry before a nonplussed world will be damaging. Wow. That's really something, Conrad. That's really something. I've got to call it as I see it, Bill. I wish it were otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, because that line of Peggy Newton's, I thought, sort of caught it. About Again, the spiders and take... the spiders and bugs. Well, look, he was a New York developer, and, and, and he was a bit loose personally. And, sure, uh, sure. You put the two together, and just an absolute perfect Norman Rockwell political CV, you know, but um, but there it is, and he won the election. And uh, I mean, personally, again, I don't care about these things. And I think, and I've said before that he achieved more before he was president, despite the terrible denigrations of him, than any but five or six of the previous presidents. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you obviously Washington and Jefferson and Madison because of what they did to found the country, and Grant and Eisenhower leading. Yeah. Great armies to victories and just war. So that, that's something else. They were world historic figures. But but Trump's accomplishments as a businessman and a television person and, and an impresario and, and developing this new method of in running the whole process using social media and self publicization as a celebrity and all sorts of odd, politically odd ways like you know these wrestling matches and things like that. It, it's it's genius in a way. The man is brilliant, and he did achieve a lot. And and they make a terrible mistake underestimating just because he spells smoking in a way that we would think was putting on a smock to go painting or something. That doesn't mean he isn't a very fierce man and a very clever man, and he is both of those. And and but that factor that Peggy identified, it seems to me, coupled to the fact that it was just such a shock for the establishment to be dumped on its on its uh, on the floor the way it was. I mean, he he attacked 
every faction of both parties, and, and he won. Uh, those two factors has, has ca- have caused the opposition to him to be so irrational that, that, that they, are, they are on suicide watch. They are going to kill themselves if they're not careful. Settles, and people look around and see, you know, the damage in the battlefield, and still view the American political landscape as a battlefield. Don't want to turn their heads and say, let's, like, I, I was, let's do something I was a very young else. man, one of those who warned the small audience I had at the time that, that uh, going after Nixon the way people did, it was going to lead to terrible, terrible problems. Yeah. People, both parties would become addicted to the criminalization of policy. Yeah, yeah you were right. And that's what happened. I mean, no impeachment case that's ever been launched in the U.S., in my opinion, should have been launched. Not Andrew Johnson, not Richard Nixon, and not Bill Clinton. And certainly not this president. Yeah. We're going to leave it there. At least on anything we've seen up to now. We're going to leave it there. Uh, this is a great essay, magisterial, and we thank you. Thanks, Conrad. It's ter- terribly good. Look, I've just put something up in American greatness that goes a little beyond the one you just referred to. But it, it's a, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but I, I've got to call it as I see it, and that's how it looks to me. We will read that and call you back soon. <laughs> Bill, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, and, and it's always a pleasure to see you on TV. Thank you very much, Conrad. If we don't speak again, I hope we will, but if we don't this year, all the best to you for Christmas, and uh, let's let's uh, have a great 2019. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. So, Claude, we have some uh, serious conversations with Andy McCarthy and Conrad Black about the right. current situation, mm-hmm. the challenges to the president, the existential threat to the Trump presidency. And um, these very sober assessments are are worth listening to by two very thoughtful men. We also have some other business, and uh, we've invited people to let us know about an original Christmas. We also have some emails, and I I want to save some of these till next week, if we can. Okay, sure. Um, Because uh, I think they require more thought on my part before I respond. But just a couple of things. Uh, but we got some great emails, including one from Steve uh, Zizmak. Spell it. Uh, S-Z-Y-M-C-Z-A-K. Simzak, Sizmak. Tell us. Zach, yeah. Uh, Steve, just respond back with the phonetic spelling of yeah, the last name. Yeah, But he said, best one-term President Bush. What about Polk? <laughs> well, gosh, he's a smart guy. He right. might actually have read American Last Best Hope. Maybe. Or I said Polk was underrated. Uh, James K. Polk was younger than any previous president when he entered the White House. He was a workaholic. He set an ambitious agenda with four major goals. Cut tariffs, reestablish an independent U.S. Treasury, secure the Oregon Territory, and acquire the territories of... California and New Mexico. Okay. Well, this guy not only did all four. Are we going to hold California against President? He got Texas, <laughs> California, Arizona, mm-hmm. Colorado, Nevada, New Mexico, Utah, and Wyoming, uh, Oregon, and Idaho, as parts as well as parts of of Montana, Wyoming. Yeah. Well, Steve has a point then. <laughs> yeah. Now, George Bush was there and presided over the fall of the wall. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess most of us say that Reagan did most of the pushing there. Mm-hmm. But it was Reagan-Bush, and the Gulf War was not anything. Oh, that's a fair question. Right. 
all poke advocates weigh in. Let us know. Bill Bennett podcast at gmail.com. All George Herbert Walker Bush advocates weigh in. Same place. Right. It's a Bill Bennett podcast at gmail.com. We are getting fan mail for Joel Farkas. Yes. Our friend Joel Farkas, director of the American Strategy Group. Raymond Ames mm-hmm. wrote in and wanted some statistics on Joel's discussion about. Right. About California and all the climate stuff. And so we we had a conversation with Joel. We talked to Joel. And what Joel's going to do is he's going to get all this data together for us. We'll email you, Raymond. And there was another email for along the same lines that we'll send these to everyone, but okay. we'll also post them on the Facebook page. Uh, we'll run through some of the stuff on the podcast, and Joel will address it directly the next time he's on the podcast. Right. We'll Joel, send this stuff. Joel will dire- address it directly when he's on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But meantime, he's going to write some stuff up, which we will then post. Right. right. We'll post it on the Facebook page. Uh, we'll probably post a link on Twitter, but Facebook will be the place to go. And and I'll and I'll email you, Raymond, from the um, uh, with all the stuff that uh, Joel has sent. All right, this other one I better deal with now because I, you know, I'm not only going to have Ohio State people on my case, I'm going to have all these Catholics on my case. And I'm mm-hmm. a Catholic from Notre Dame. Yes. And we got mail saying a lot of it too. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just don't want a lot of Catholics praying against me. You know. What I mean? <laughs> yes, right. I do know what I you mean. I don't want to be like Clemson. You mm-hmm. know. Now is it? But isn't it? Did you get you, my connection? Well, Clemson? yeah, uh, exactly. But you get more progress, or for change for someone, right? Praying for them as opposed to against them. So I would assume they'd pray for you. Yeah, yeah. You don't really Which pray you, against people, right? That's really you may pray Christian. that they change, right? Yeah, because you're supposed to love them, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm being accused of not sufficiently loving Notre Dame. More specifically, I asked whether it was a, really a Catholic college, right? Uh, I heard Gary Wills there, who I didn't think was particularly Catholic. Uh, Barack Obama came, and we know how pro-abortion he is. So I got some mail. Mm -hmm. And people said, more and more kids there going to chapel, going to mass. Uh And the answer to the question, do you become more or less religious if you go to Notre Dame? Overwhelmingly. The response is more religious. Okay. I'm going to have to go back. And there's an email from Joseph Lucas, uh, who says um, that has a daughter uh, there and uh, said one thing that sold them on Notre Dame was uh, something they saw at the grotto. It was at night. They were uh, as they were descending the stone steps to see the grotto. We first saw a young girl with long brown hair, stylishly tattered jeans and a backpack kneeling in prayer. Right there on campus. Yeah. So they saw that, said we're sold. You're sold on that, aren't yes, you? Yes, that's yeah. where Manny's going to go. <laughs> Manny's going to Notre Dame. Manny's going to Notre Dame. Maybe to play football, we'll see. Like this Jewish couple I knew in Chapel Hill yeah. sent their kids to Catholic school. I said, but you guys aren't Catholic, you're Jewish. And this couple said, yeah, no, we're Jewish, we're not Catholic, but we like what they say. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really believe that, but uh-huh. we want to put our kid in the presence of somebody oh, who yeah. does. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Absolutely. So there you go. Okay, we will get some more emails next week. Again, remember to tell us if you have an unusual way of celebrating Christmas or the day before or the day after. Yes. We celebrate Boxing Day, by the way, in okay. addition to Christmas. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, it's actually not much different from Christmas. Uh, We don't go to mass, but we eat and drink just like we do on Christmas. (laughs) And we do throw the boxes away. Right. (laughs) Okay. One addendum just of a a lighthearted nature. I think we've talked about it some with uh, before, maybe once before with this audience, but our friend Brian Kennedy 
mm -hmm. uh, who's the president of the American Strategy Group and often a guest on this show. Yes, we love having Brian. Is uh, much enamored of uh, uh, John Bosco High School. Right there in uh, in California, John Bosco always telling me it's the best football in the country and so on. Well, they got beat. They got beat the other day. Right. He didn't take it well. He didn't take it well. It's 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 kind of wrecked his weekend. I mm -hmm. think. However, he recovered, and you know I'm always saying, well, I don't know. I, yeah, they're good, but we have some pretty good teams around here in the math and mm -hmm. Gonzaga, Gonzaga, good council, you know, good council. Mm -hmm. and, some good teams in Texas, and you know, there's always yeah. IMG in Florida, and there's some others. With very little comment, he sent me two pictures <laughs> of coaches at Bosco uh -huh. and players at Bosco. And in one of them, the the Bosco coach and player was standing next to Dabo Sweeney. Oh, okay. In the other coach at Clemson, mm -hmm. in the other coach and player. We're standing next to Lincoln Riley, okay, the coach well, of yeah, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. There it is, yeah. And they were these pictures were not taken in Clemson, South Carolina, or in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. These pictures were taken at John Bosco High School, <laughs> which means the much elevated and important Dabo Sweeney and Lincoln Riley got on their behinds and got themselves yeah. out to John Bosco. Check out some players. Yeah. Brian okay. just sent me the pictures. <laughs> I, said, I assume you recognize these coaches. Why do you think they're here? Yeah, it is sunny California, but That's they're not a, here for the weather. No, no, no. no, no. For recruiting. We're so clear. there you go for the football folks out there. All right, folks, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to BillBennettShow.com. A lot to think about, Claude. There is a lot to think about. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 